Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. But God has worked graciously in my life. Uh, growing up, uh, I had grandparents that lived down on the very end of uh, Rifle Range Road. And I remember that uh, my uncle that I loved dearly, he just got out of the Air Force. And, and uh, what made me and him click was he, he loved motorcycles. And, and I was probably about six years old, and uh, he worked in a motorcycle shop. Well, he was staying with his mom, my grandmother, and, and he came home one day on a brand-new Norton 750 Atlas. Now, you don't know what that is. That's about the fastest motorcycle in that day that there was. And I had pestered him about wanting to ride on it. And, you know, one, one late evening, he said, come on, we're going for a ride. So I was going to get up on the back of it. He said, no, get up here in front of me. And I was just a typical kid those days. I, I, my whole summer attire was a pair of shorts and nothing else. No shoes, no socks, no shirt. And he said, get up here. And he put me up on the, right in front of him. I, I can still remember my legs scrubbing on that shiny red gas tank. And, and we pulled that one up the hill, the driveway, long driveway. We were going down uh, Rifle Range Road. And he says, put your hands up here now. And here I was, and it might be big a painter. I was a kid, you know. He said, now, if you want to go fast, you do this. So what do you think I've done? <laughs> and we come right down Rifle Range Road. We came right around Dry Gap Pike. I was about six years old, and, I, and you know, to me it felt like it was about 150 miles an hour. But I came around this curve. I can remember it. Come around this curve going on. I didn't know that 50 years later that I'd be standing in God's house preaching God's message to God's people. So you never know how you're going to turn out in life. You, you never know where, what avenue God's going to lead you. But rest assured, he's, he started from before the foundations of time. He has, he has a purpose for every one of us. But when I was growing up, it, things were so simple back then. We didn't have anything like cell phones and remote controls. My job as a young lad was go turn the TV over. Now, if somebody said go turn the TV over, you're thinking, get the TV and turn it over. No, that meant get up and go turn the channel because I'm tired of watching that. See, I was, I was the remote control. Or turn the TV up. So I had Turned up. You didn't have remote control. But when the phone rang, guess what my job was? Go answer the phone. Now, when you're five or six years old and the phone rings, it's not like go pick up the handset and stick it to your ear or your, ear or your cell phone. It's in your pocket. You had to go down the hallway, to, and, and there was this old hard plastic phone sitting there, 
and it, it didn't even have a curly Q kind of cord on it, just a straight cord is about that long, and the one from the base of it to the wall was about that long, so you couldn't pick it up and go anywhere. You had to sit down to, to talk on it. So the phone would ring, and, and I'd go answer the phone, so I'd run down the hall, pick up the phone. Now, back in those days, this is how, how things have been. Back then, when you was going to talk to somebody on the phone, the first thing you had to do is go, see who's on the phone. Because you had a party line. Now, that sounds crazy. But you picked up the phone to see if anybody was talking. If somebody was talking, you had to wait till they get up because you were sharing the lines. And we had this one lady next door. And uh, I don't know that she really needed the phone because you could hold out here and, and hear her. And, and I found out the way you got her off phone. She's still on the phone, Mom. <laughs> and I'd hang up. And sometimes you'd hear her say, well, I better get off this phone, Martha. Somebody wanting to use it. But when I'd run and answer the phone, the one thing that was always asked, who called? See, things were, in those days, we didn't have the, the, the luxury of having everything convenient. You had to go do something. And so I'd go in and I'd say, well, it's so-and-so. But it was always who called or who was it? Well, that's really the basis of what we're going to talk about today. Who called? Now, what I hope to accomplish here is, is understanding what the call of God is and what does it have to do with me. See, when we talk about the call of God, the first thing we think about is calling a pastor to a church or he's, oh, Joe, man, he's answered the call to, to preach. We think it's to a vocational position that somebody's being called to a, a church or a, or a missionary, excuse me, or to whatever function. But we think of it as a, as a vocation. But see, the call of God has always been there. It's always been there from, the day, from day one. In Genesis, after uh, Adam and Eve had sinned, God comes walking through the garden. And you know what he says? He calls out to Adam, where are you? And from that point on, he's always asked, where are you? He's wanting an intimate relationship with every one of us. He wants to know who you are and what you, do, what you mean to do with him. It's always a, it's a relational thing. The call of God is, is multifaceted. He, even in Genesis... Even when you get into uh, Moses' burning bush, he speaks to him in a, in a, a burning bush that doesn't be consumed. He, he talks to uh, uh, Elijah. Elijah was being chased down by Jezebel. He was scared for his life. She, you know, they were going to murder him. He goes and hides, and he has an encounter with God. God comes by him in a, in a, in a mighty wind, but it's, the Bible says God wasn't in the mighty wind. He comes through an earthquake. He says, God wasn't in the earthquake. The fire comes by. The fire, it says God wasn't in the fire. God was in the still, small voice that penetrated through everything of, of Elijah. And that's the way it is today. It might not be an audible thing. I, I, God's never spoke to me audibly. But let me tell you, he, he speaks a word that's far more powerful than, than if it rang in my ears because it rings in my heart. He, he, he pierces my heart with the scriptures. And, and that's what he does today. 
So when he, when he calls, he's primarily going to call through the scriptures. He, he says that uh, he calls us even through salvation. First, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 says, To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's called us to salvation. But God also calls us to a particular place in life. You know, so many times people, they're always looking at what somebody else has got or where they're at in life. But you've got to understand, brothers and sisters, God has you, he has me, exactly where he wants us. He says um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17, but as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. God has placed us where we're at. He's got, you know, the neat thing about this church is it just grows and grows and grows and grows. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it just encourages me. I mean, I, I can't believe it. But God has got you. He's got me exactly where he wants us. But what's he going to do with us? See, we, th we think that somebody else will do it or, or I can't do it. Well, you know, you can't do it. I can't do it. But God can. Whatever it is he's called us to do. Romans 12, 7 and 8 says about ministry, he says, uh, or excuse me, let's go back to Ephesians verse 4. I skipped ahead. He says, and he gave himself some to be apostles, uh, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He's, he's talking about equipping people. You know, uh, maybe you're not going to be called as a pastor. Uh, or, or maybe you're not going to be called an, an apostle or a prophet or evangelist. But, you know, he's going to call some to be a pastor. And he's certainly going to call someone a teacher. I mean, that's, that's my calling in life. He called me as a pastor. He called me as a teacher. That's, I recognize that. I, I realize that. And I allow him to work through me with that. But also, he, he speaks and equips everybody else. In Romans 12, 7 and 8, it says about ministry, he said, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I can look around, and there's some of you cats that's got those traits because I see mercy, I see grace, I see encouragement. But, you know, that's not a... An, an exhaustive study of, of the spiritual gifts. And I was kidding the uh, first service. I said, you know what an exhaustive study is? That's when I keep going on and on and you're totally exhausted. <laughs> I mean, I haven't preached in a, in a pulpit in, in quite a few years. And, and I got a lot of time to make up. So, you know, it's 11.02 right now. I got the rest of the day. <laughs> but I think I have a message from God that not only speaks to my heart, I hope it speaks to yours. Because I think that God's wanting to do something tremendously special here at this church. You see, God calls us to salvation. He calls us to a specific place and position. He, gives, he equips us individually with certain gifts and abilities, which enables us to carry out his mission. Every believer... Every believer has been called to do ministry. That's what the Great Commission is all about. In Matthew 28 and 19, go ye therefore in all the nations, 
teach and baptize. He's talking about as we go. Now, your nation might just be a block down the street. It might be where you're at. But you're called to go. I'm called to go and do. But as we look at our passage of Scripture today, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, I want you to see how the Apostle Paul talks to his young protege, Timothy. See, Paul was, he'd been arrested once before for preaching the gospel. But he was under house arrest, in which, you know, house arrest is, is nothing really daunting. You just mean you can't go, come and go as you please. But when you see in, in, in the second letter to Timothy, Paul's in a far different place. And it's a heartbreaking letter. I mean, I, I can just see the pain and, and hurt in Paul's writings. And it, and it moves me at times to tears because Paul is in Nero's uh, prison, not in house arrest, but he's in the darkest, lowest place in the prison, and he's facing a death sentence. So he's, he, he writes to Timothy to encourage him, and I, and I hope you see this today, that it's a, it's, it's a message of encouragement to keep on doing what you're called to do. He says in chapter 2 of Timothy, or chapter 1 and 2 Timothy, verse 3, I thank God who I'm served with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul was heartbroken or broken. The, his entourage had deserted him. They didn't know where Paul was at. And Paul's writing this letter in a, in a prison. And, and man, it, he, he, he's, it's a tune-up. You know when somebody tunes you up, they want to get you going again. See, I, I think when, when Paul sends this letter out to Timothy, I think Timothy has, has wielded back some. I think he, he knows where Paul's going to wind up. The game's over. In just a few short days, Paul's going to lose his head. And, I mean, you can't, you can't imagine how much he, he, uh, he worried about that, how he, how he ached over that. So when we see this writing, I want you to see there's three important traits that we need to look at very closely because I'm telling you it, it, it's meaningful to you 
it's very meaningful to me. As we look at this passage of scripture, the first thing I want you to see of these traits is, and I want you to ask yourself this, am I making myself available to God? Am I making myself available to God? See, God's not going to knock you in the head and say, you need to go do this. He doesn't work that way. God does not, he, he's not a guilt motivator. But he says in this passage of scripture, the first thing he says to Timothy, stir up that gift is within you. I like that word. It says stir it up. It's, it has an idea of, of a fire that's maybe dwindled down to there's just barely a few glowing embers. Uh, you know, if you camped out or you, and, and you've had a campfire and you, you're sleeping out, and the thing that you do when you get up next morning, what's the, what's the fire doing? With down to just very little embers. And the first thing you want to do is stir up the fire. You want to prod it along to get it up to where you get some warmth out of it, to get some benefit out of it, to get some use out of it. And that's what he's telling Timothy. Because I think Timothy is, has wielded back. I think he's just a shadow of who, he's, who God has called him to do. And let me tell you, be honest with yourself. Every one of us has been in that position whether it's you're in ministry or whether you're in life, God will, he'll speak to your heart. And I hope he speaks to you today. He has mine. But he says, stir up, Timothy, that gift that was given to you by laying on my hands. Paul ordained him into the ministry. He says, remember that, what God has done. Don't let it dwindle away where nobody has any benefit over it. Because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to get us in a position where we're not effective anymore. He wants the fire in us to, to die down. He wants the fire to, to be squashed to where it doesn't burn. And that's where we're at. He says, stir it up. Understand in spiritual gifts that God, listen to me, God does not work his gifts through us as if we're robots. God does not use every one of us the same way. He equips us individually to do what he wants us to do. But when we're saved, he energizes who we are with a new heart, a new mindset, a new, new way to go. See, he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't change who we are. He just changes how we look at things. But see, God wants to use our will. He wants to use our desire. And he wants to use our drive. Now you think about Paul. I love Paul. But you think about him when he was Saul. What was his reputation? Man, he would go into churches like this and, you know, he'd drag them out and they'd get stoned or put them in prison. That was, his, that was his mode of operation. Can you imagine the Pharisees all together and they're, and they're, and they're hearing about this uprising? They thought they had Jesus hung on the cross and dead. They, they thought... This is over with, but when, when the gospel was being preached and people were being saved and Paul was right in the middle of it when his name was changed to Paul and got saved through, when his encounter on Damascus Road, God didn't change Paul. He saved Paul. He radically saved him because the same type of person that Paul was as Saul, he flipped it around and used it for his kingdom and for his glory. You think about it. Going into an area that you're not wanted. He's going to a place where nobody likes him. And most people 
we would quit at the first opposition. God saw Paul. He knew what he was getting. Paul, as Saul, was like a pit bulldog. I'm serious. He would go after churches like it wasn't nothing. Stood at Stephen as they stoned him, held the clothes. He was ruthless. But when God radically saved him, he took that same personality, that same drive, that same will, that same ambition, and he says, you've got a new heart. You've got a new vision. You've got a new desire. He took that same person to do a job that nobody else could probably do because he brought the gospel to people like you and I. Can you imagine the Gentiles? I thought we had, or the Pharisees, I thought we had this done. Better call Saul. Saul will go get him. Better call him. Go get him. Kill him. That was his, that's who he was. But God had a different idea. Because when Paul had an encounter with God, it changed everything. God uses everybody differently. You look around. There's no two people alike. We might resemble each other. And, and twins might even look identical. But one thing that's totally different is fingerprints. Every person is different. Every person has a place in the kingdom of God. You might say, well, I, I, I can't do anything. Well, can't can't do anything, but can't change in the vision of God. Can do everything. See, God called different people to do great things. He, he called people to, to uh, work in different things. He, have you ever stopped and thought about all the people that God called in, 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 in the Bible? Man, he, he called farmers. He called uh, musicians. He's called uh, tax collectors. He's, he's, he's called every kind of person that there ever was. He even called a little boy with a little pail with two little fishes. Don't tell me you can't be used by God. Because today, well, it's mine. Now, the little boy says, he gives. See, God will use you exactly where you're at. But you have to understand that God calls us to a, a specific place. Am I available? Am I making myself available? See, you can't do ministry. You can't do, I can't do anything unless I make myself available. Right? If, if somebody was giving away raffle tickets and you had a sure uh, winner and somebody says, you're going to win, I'm going to give you the winning ticket, but you've got to be present. What happens when you check out and say, oh, i got to go home? What happens? You miss out. See, you've got to be there. We've got to be people who say, yes, Lord, I, I can, I'll, I'll do what you call me to do. But we think, oh, man, I can't do that. But in this passage of Scripture, he says, in verse 7, he says, but I'm giving you not a spirit of fear. He says, I'm giving you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. I'm giving you the tools to change, to be equipped. I don't care what the, the ministry position, I don't care what the job is, God has equipped you and I to do that job. 
And I'm going to tell you, I never grew up coming around this corner here. At, I know it was 150 miles an hour on the motorcycle in that way, probably 30 miles an hour, but it felt like 150. I had no intentions whatsoever to be standing up on this hill preaching. Never had no desire. My mom and dad was not church-going people. But it took someone who loved me that showed me what the scripture was all about, and it radically changed my life. See, God puts us through certain things in our lives in order for us to walk in faith. Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, he talks about spiritual markers. In the Old Testament, when something was miraculously done, uh, the first thing they would do would build an altar to remember what had happened. So when somebody came by, a young boy or a young girl, said, what's that pile of stones there, Daddy? Well, you know, that's when God did this, or that's when God done that. That's when we, when we couldn't figure out how to do it. This is what happened. This is, how, this is what God done. Well, Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, says that we should put spiritual markers in our life when God does something totally miraculous. Man, I've got a whole, I've got a whole field full of those. The way God has worked in my life in, in areas that, I, that I, I couldn't even fathom how he's going to work it out. But when God was dealing with me after I got saved, and, I, and Kay and I had gotten out of church for quite a few years, but when I got really serious, God got really serious with me. And God was preparing me all along, according to the scripture, before time ever began. But I had to come to a place where, am I going to make myself available? Because he was calling me into the ministry. And let me tell you, I was 40 years old when God called me into the ministry. Now, that may say, sound old to you. It sounds horrible to me when I was 40 because I thought I had everything all done, what I wanted to do. But God called me. He spoke to my heart. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I think God's humorous. I really do. Because let me tell you, when God called me and Kay, because he called us both, and we just answered the call to gospel ministry. We, we thought we were going to be missionaries. We didn't have a clue what we were going to do. But we knew God was dealing with us. And, and our pastor at the church we was at, it, it was the week of Halloween. And you, and, you know, he preached about demonic things and worshiping Satan and all this stuff. And, but we knew we, we had plans. We were going to go, when the altar call came, we were going to go before the church and say, you know, we, we've been called to ministry. So when he preached this sermon about demonic things and, and the invitation comes and Kay looks at me and I look at her and I said, we're going to go. So we go up there and we're thinking, they've been worshiping Satan. But you know what? We come up and we tell them what we've done and everybody came up and says, oh, we knew that was going to happen. I'm thinking, why didn't you tell me? But they could see that God was working in, in your life. And when I look around at people, I see where God's working in your life. And that's not to scare you because I don't think God's going to call everyone to preach, just every other one. i just kidding you. But God has something for you and for me. But I have to be in a position where I open my life up and say, whatever it is you want me to do, Lord, here I am. When God was dealing with me to, to answer the, the, the uh, call 
I had a lot of things, a lot of questions. We went on to a mission trip in Detroit, and we were, I mean, we were right in the middle of, of the worst part of Detroit that you could imagine. We were at Eight Mountain, and uh, it, it was horrible. Well, we were we were staying in a in a in a church up on Gratiot Avenue. I remember just like it was yesterday. But we knew we were supposed to go on this mission trip with the youth, and we went on it. And let me tell you, I'm going to scare you right now. Uh, mission trips will change your life. Mission trips will change your way of thinking, your perspective of who God is, because God will do great things. And when we were on that trip, I didn't have any vacation time or anything. When I answered to, to, to go, we took two vehicles, went up there, the whole parcel full of kids, and we were sleeping in upstairs in the Sunday school room. And we were there for the whole week, and we made so many friends. And first night there, it was a huge storm, and this guy comes to the door downstairs. And in and, and, and Detroit, you lock a door. You put the alarm on. You, you don't leave doors open. So somebody said, somebody's downstairs at the door. And, and we, our group was on one in this church. So I go down, and here's this guy, and he's an older guy. And his name was Leon Haldis. H-A-L-D-A-S. I'll never forget Leon. And uh, he said, the power's off at my house right down the street here, and I've got this little bit of food I don't want to spoil. He said, can I put it in your refrigerator? I said, sure, come on in. It wasn't my church, but I said, hey, come on in. That's what southern people do. Detroit, nah, not so much. So I, I bring Leon in, and we got to be good friends and had commonality in Jesus Christ. And So every day we went out to do our backyard Bible uh, clubs and things. Leon said, can I go? I said, sure. Well, see, Leon, he was single. He'd been laid off from the big three automakers for almost two years. Lived in a little house right down the street. Didn't have a whole lot. So every day he'd pile in with us and go and have fun. We had a great time. We would play basketball uh, all night long after have vacation Bible school and all this stuff. And and uh, I, I kept praying that uh, uh, that uh, God can do everything through me, you know. Or, uh, and, he, and he did. But see, when we were getting ready to leave, we were, our pastor was, he said, go get all the kids in the bed. He said, all the adults come up here. We're going to get our strategy about leaving the next day. So, we done that, and we go up, and I'm sitting on the pastor's desk, just like the rebel that I am, sitting there and moved his stuff out of the way, and I'm sitting there, and, and the pastor says, I've got to uh, tell what we're going to do, and he says, and I've got some business here we need to do. He said, I've got two envelopes, and uh, he said, uh, one of them's for UK, and one of them's for you, Terry. Well, my, immediately I'm thinking, well, you know, he knows that I, I, I went to church with, uh, or went on this trip with no uh, no income for the week. I'm thinking, you know, they've got money left over from the trip, and they're going to kind of help me. So, being prideful as I am, I don't, that's okay, I don't need it, you know. So, he gives one to Kay, and it's it's envelope, $50, and it was her birthday that week. It was sealed up, white business envelope. He said, and this one, brother, is for you. I said, I, I, I'm okay. He said, no, you need to open this. This is given especially for you. So 
And I, I can remember it as if it was happening right now. I was sitting there, and he, he, I wouldn't pick up the envelope. He laid right beside of me. He said, you need to open that. So I thought, well, you know, it's not going to go away if I don't open it. You know, I was, I was wanting to move on because I'm kind of a private person. But, you know, let me tell you something. When I opened that, I'm going to tell you, God had gave me exactly, exactly to the penny of what my income was for a week. Now, I'm telling you, there's nobody knew how much I made except my wife and me. But when I opened that envelope, it was to the exact amount of what my check would have been had I worked all the week. And let me tell you, I was shocked. Because at that moment, I knew that God knew who I was. I knew that, that he loved me and that he was going to take care of me, whatever he called me to do. I knew that. I realized that. And I put a spiritual marker at that point because I knew whatever happens in my future, God was going to take care of it. But the miraculous thing of it was Leon Haldus gave the money and worked in two years. But he knew he was supposed to do what he was supposed to do. He gave it in faith. Changed my life radically for the rest of my life because he saw the need to be obedient. He made himself available and it impacted my life like nothing else has ever impacted outside of salvation. Because when God was dealing with me to go to, to uh, back to school, I, you know, first thing I said, nah, not so much. Uh, I, I, I specialized in, uh, well, you know, I had a PhD to start with. I didn't think I needed any more. Oh, that's a pal high diploma. I had that. I'd I, I done everything that I could do the least amount to gain that. I mean, I took the minimum of everything Calculus, I couldn't even spell calculus. But God had a different plan. See, I was always that one when it came time to do, this is how, you know, we didn't, back when I was a kid, we didn't have stone tablets and we didn't chisel it out, but we had a chalkboard and, and we, we, they'd call four or five kids, go up to the chalkboard and we'd do math problems. You know what I would do? I'd freeze. I knew, every, I knew that every person on the planet was looking at me. And I wanted to hide. And I couldn't hide behind that chalk. I, I mean, I, I couldn't. I froze. So imagine how it would be when God says, I think I want you to preach. You know what I could have said? Not so much. I, I, I can't speak. I'm not, I'm not one who stands out in, in front of people. I've got a history of it. But God was dealing with me. And the thing that motivated, the thing that kept me on track was these spiritual markers that I had in my life where God had worked. So when God was dealing with me to answer the call, I, I, got, some, I got some great advice. Because I'd ask my pastor, i said, how do you know you're supposed to preach? How do you know you're supposed to preach? And all his degrees and all of his schooling and years of pastoring, you know what the sound advice I got? You'll know. You'll know. I said, no, 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 tell me. How will I know? He said, oh, you'll know. 
you will know. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that. I won't say, oh, it's coming in a in a, a manila envelope. It's it's be FedEx, and he'll tell you, say, hey, I'm calling you into the ministry. No. But see, God prepares us all the way through our lives to do what he wants us to do. You just don't step out all of a sudden and do what God wants you to do. He prepares you as you go. He prepared me as I went. He put things in my life to test me to see if I would make myself available. And that's what he wants from this church. When I, when I look at the things that Pastor Joel has preached, from good to great, from goodness to greatness, I know that God's calling us to, from good to greatness. But I'm going to tell you right now, the first thing from goodness to greatness is will I make myself available. See, another thing that happened in my life, I had all these excuses why I couldn't. I was the breadwinner. I was the one that had to work. My wife didn't work, and I couldn't possibly go back to work. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I had two daughters, and one was getting ready to go to college in four years. I had one getting ready to start high school. I couldn't do that. I couldn't quit my job, but he proved out otherwise. I don't know if, if you know who David Ring is. but He came to Powell High School through First Baptist Powell, in case says, we need to go listen to this guy, and I've never heard him. This is back before the internet, you know, stone age. So he's supposed to be really good, and I thought, eh, you know. So we go down there, and this guy, they, they give his introduction, and I challenge you, go, read, go watch him on YouTube. He's got a blue million uh, videos, but just be prepared. I warn you, but go... See, David Ring spent the first 18 minutes of his life not breathing. That's cerebral palsy. And, and I'm not being disrespectful at all. But when I heard David Ring and they get up and they give his introduction, this, this guy, let me tell you, he's had, he usually gets like 800 invitations to, to speak. But when he gets up, he, he, he's, he's, He's kind of limps. And I didn't know anything about this. But when he gets up to speak, my, my name is David Rain. And I'm not being, that's how he speaks. And I'm sitting here, you got to be kidding me. I can't understand the thing he's saying. But God just kind of <laughs> does one thing, shut up and listen. And there's two statements that David Ring said that it changed my life. He tells his whole life story and he says, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? You're healthy. What's your excuse for not sharing the gospel? What's your excuse for not being on mission with God? What is it? That's what he was asking me. That's what God was saying. What is your excuse? I felt about, I'm, hey, I'm short. I felt like I was that tall. I couldn't hide because I knew the words he was saying was penetrating my heart. I was convicted sorely by what he said. But the second thing he said, if that wasn't enough, he says, God does not want your ability. He wants your availability. 
See, God, you could be the you could be the best thing since a shirt on a pocket, sliced bread, whatever you want. You could be, but if you're not making yourself available to be used by God, what good are you? What good am I? Here was this guy that could hobble when he walked, couldn't speak, but he was glorifying God in, in his weakness. He said, I would rather be who I am knowing the power of God than to have every limb and everything to be normal. I'm thinking, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't offer up an excuse. But that really radically changed my life. Then, then if that wasn't worse, we had a mission conference at our church. We had different missionaries come in off furlough. And I remember one guy, he was a, a Baptist Student Union uh, ministry leader at, uh, down in Jackson, Tennessee. He was about my age. Let me tell you, I had every excuse that there was why I couldn't answer the call of ministry. Man, I had some good ones. But when this guy got to speak, he was a plumber. But yet God called him into the ministry. And I'm not knocking plumbers. I'm just telling you, he's just an average guy like me. He had two daughters that was almost my, uh, our age, our kid's age. God called him to go back to school. And I knew God was dealing with me. And he answered the call. He had raising kids, had two jobs. Going to college, I'm thinking, man, there goes that excuse. But the one that really got me was there was a gentleman that came one night that week. His name was Herman Calais, and he was a silver-haired guy combing that hair way back. And he looked so out of place out in a suit. I mean, he did, but he was Cajun through and through. Preached from a French-Canadian Bible. I mean, he spoke in French or English. He was so out of character in that suit. And you looked at his hands and it looked like 10 pounds of raw hamburger. Because you see, Herman was a commercial fisherman. And for like the first 15, 16 years of his marriage, the whole family lived on a shrimp boat. That's where he, they didn't have a house. But God radically saved him, and not only did he save him, he called him to be a church planter in the bayou. And I forgot how many churches that Herman Calais had uh, started. I mean, I th I, best I remember is more than digits on my fingers. And I'm thinking, oh, there's another excuse. I, I figured I was too old. And here's this dude way older than me preaching. So everything that came along, and I had an excuse, and I was not making myself available, guess what? I'd put, a, I'd put a spiritual marker right there. God was using these. I've got no excuse. I had, man, I had, everything was getting knocked down. Every excuse that I could think of was shot out of the water. But when God called me to go back to school after I surrendered to the call of like I said, I was 40 years old, and my wife was a stay-at-home wife, and we were trying to figure out all this logic how we're going to do this. And she said, "Well, I'm gonna, I'll go. I'll start cleaning the houses and stuff." Because I, when I answered the call of the ministry, and I knew I was going back to to uh, school, and I did everything to, not to ever go to college. But when I finally surrendered to it. We had this plan how we were going to do this because I had quit my job to work at another place. I was working like 60, 
five, sometimes I worked 70 hours a week. Had all kinds of benefits. I, and let me tell you, when you go in and, and we, we prayed about it, but when you go in and you, and you quit your job and you work three days a week for exactly half the, the income with no insurance whatsoever, you're, I, I'm going to tell you, your in-laws look at you as an entirely different person. I promise you that. And they were God-fearing people. But all they could think of, what is he doing? So we go visit some places and colleges. And my pastor said, well, there's one up in Kentucky. I want you to go look at it. We go up there and, man, it's, it's, it's back in the boonies. Great school. 50-year-old school founded for people like me. And uh, I'll never forget on the drive back, I, I, I knew it's where I was supposed to be. And I remember Kay laying down in the back seat because she was sick as a dog. Because she thought, man, I'm having to give up everything here, pal. Right. And this is all I've ever known, pal. I, and I'm the fourth generation on, on the property I live on. Pal's all I know. But God was calling me in a direction that I, I've never been. So when we come back, case six of dogs thinking, we're going to have to move up there and live on campus. And I said, I said no. I said, God's called me. And I, we'll do this. So she was starting to clean houses and stuff and trying to supplement the income. And, and listen, folks, I'm not trying, I'm not up here to brag about, if you're looking at me as an example, I'm just telling you what God does in my life, has done in my life. I hope it encourages, I hope you see the truth in it. Because when God called me, I, I couldn't figure out how in the world was going to pay for it. But I had, I mean, I got down on my knees and I said, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to pay for this. But here's what I said. I will make myself available. And you know why? Because of what has already been taught to me, where my spiritual markers were. God wanted, he didn't want my ability, he wanted my availability. So when I answered the call to ministry, we thought we had everything. Let me tell you what, you talk about, you think you got it hard? You try taking 16 hours of classes in two days. And then go home after you lived in a dorm. I used to kid my professor, I, said, we, I lived in this dorm big four story stone place and it needed a lot of renovation and it's Kentucky and I always ragged them about them being Kentucky and I said I really appreciate y'all making me feel at home here because when I turn my water on it runs orange for about 15 minutes till the pipes clear out <laughs> I'm serious so uh, but, but I answered the call to it well the first semester but I, I, I told God, I'll make myself available, but I don't know how you're going to pay for this. But I knew he would because when the guy gave me the money on the desk, man, that blew that question out of, the, out of the water. I knew he would provide. I just didn't know how. So I, I quit my job, and I'm doing this and going up there. and I, I mean, man, alive. I'll never forget my first class. I'm sitting here. I had to take classes as I could get them because I was a commuter. I didn't live on campus like everybody else. I would drive up, live in the dorm for two days, the first 
uh, one, I'd spend one night and then come back Friday evening, 16 hours in two days. And my first class was a class on eschatology. Now, doesn't that sound appealing? And I'm sitting there with an eschatology study of end times. And here I am sitting with all these seniors, and I'm sitting here like. But, you know, when midterms come my first semester, Kay had a very bad car wreck. Hurt her vertebras in her neck, and, and uh, midterm exams came. And man, I failed every one of them. Because I didn't know how this was going to work out. And I came home at that uh, Friday and I said, man, I, well, I just got to quit. I, I've, I've just got to quit and get back to work and, and, and make this thing happen. You've got to get to a doctor. And let me tell you, when you don't have any insurance and you're in a car wreck, there's not a, there's not a neurosurgeon in, in this town that would even give you an invitation to come for a, for a, a, a doctor appointment. They would, the first thing I ask you, you been in a wreck? Oh, well, we can't help you. That's a hypocrite oath. I, I, that's another story. But I, I was mad. And I was going, I said, I'm quitting. Okay, he says, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You made a promise. And I did. But, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to understand that whatever the thing that God calls you to do, he's going to equip you to do what he's called you to do. It doesn't matter what it is. But you know, I went back to school. I finished it. I started going, make matters even worse. I started going Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'd go up Sunday night. I wouldn't see my family till Wednesday night. And that was back in the days when you didn't have cell phones. Everybody had to line up to, to talk on a phone. And you had to put the quarter in. A cell phone wouldn't get out of the mountains if you had one. And I'd sit there, and I'd sit there, and I'd say, I mean, I was so homesick. But I, put, I went through it all. Let me tell you something. When you make yourself available to God, God is able to use you to stand in a pulpit and speak to a place that 50 years ago, as you went by on a motorcycle, you had no clue you'd ever be able to do that. I had no idea that I could ever preach a sermon. But let me tell you, when God called me to preach, man, it's like flipping a switch. There's no fear of preaching. There's no fear of speaking. Because God gave me a spirit of power. He gave me a heart that loves. He changes my desires. But it doesn't happen unless I make myself available. Everything that God puts you through prepares you for what he's called you to do next. Everything that we experience, he uses that for his kingdom, for his glory. Now, I realize not everyone's going to be called into a vocational ministry, but I'm telling you this much. God has called every one of us to be on mission for him and to do whatever he's called us to do. I promise you that. You know, every one of us are different, but every one of us has certain things that somebody else doesn't. You're able to do things that I can't do. But I'm telling you what, if you don't make yourself available to him, you're missing out on a fantastic journey because that's what I look at in my life. If God calls me home in 10 minutes or 10 years, I can honestly say that God's put me through an amazing journey that I would never experience had I not say, yes, Lord, I'll go. But not only do we have to make ourselves available, 
I have to ask myself, am I being acceptable to his plans? See, in, in verse 9, he tells Timothy, he reminds us that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to anything we've done, but according to his own purposes and grace. See, you and I have to come to a conclusion that God has a plan. We have to accept that. We have to accept the fact that as, as he looks across the span of the universe, even, you know, I, I'm just so shocked. When Tim preached last week and he's talking about the babies in the, in the mother's womb and he told, and the slides showed how they changed. And all I could think of is I've been writing on this sermon for about four weeks, how God's got this perfectly timed. He knew that what I was going to preach. God did. Because when, when that little baby's in that womb, when he's wonderfully made me and you, he says, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you in your life. You just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. But it comes down, am I, am I going to make myself available? Do I accept the fact that God has a place for me? As this church grows and it expands, and man, it's, it's, it beats all I've ever seen. New people coming in, and, and, and all I can think of is, man, I wonder what they're good at. I wonder what kind of spiritual gift that they have. Well, you know, I promise you, I cannot sing very well. I make the joyful noise. So I know that's not my calling. But I wonder what someone's calling is. Do I accept who he is and what he's going to do in my life? He, Paul reminds Timothy that he has a divine purpose because he's spurring him on to, to, to stir up this gift that's in you. And like I say, I think, he's, I think it's dwindled away to nothing. But he reminds him in chapter 2, he says, You therefore, my son, talking about Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me, in other words, the gospel that I've been preaching, you've heard me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be, uh, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy's spiritual gift was, his calling in life was to be a teacher. He was the one who's heard the things that Paul taught, and it was his responsibility to teach men you know when we talk about spiritual gifts we don't realize that if we don't step up to the plate someone might not reap the benefits of what you know and what you do and what you say you know when we think about our legacies and as we get older and, and I am getting older you, you think about what, what have I done in my life that will impact people around me well, I hope the one thing that, this is not egotistical, but I hope that somebody would think, if David Ring can do it, I, I, I've got no excuses. If you hear me preach, I, I hope it, the, the things that God's laid on my heart, I, ho I, I hope it pierces your heart as it has mine, that I need to get busy. See, I've, I've talked uh, here for However long we've been here, five, six years, whatever it is. I've talked, I, do, I used to do Wednesday night services for like three or four years. But I know God's called me to more. 
but am I going to make myself available to it? Am I going to be acceptable of whatever he calls? He might call me out of this place tomorrow and say, hey, I, I want you and your wife to go so-and-so place. You never know. But he wanted Timothy to remind of his commitment. But we always think, uh, if I don't go, you, you, you can go, or you can do it. You're better at it than I am. Or you, you're better than I am at doing this. I've, I've seen you. But you know, there's nothing in the gospel, there's nothing in the Bible that says that God will send someone else. Consider Jonah. Oh, you got to love Jonah. God says, hey, you go to Nineveh and you tell them, you warn them that, that judgment's coming. You know, Jonah, he says, he's thinking, man, that's my arch enemies. That, that'd be like saying, you go over to uh, North Korea and preach the gospel that they might get saved. Whatever, whatever. So old Jonah, he says, I hear you, Lord. Goes the other direction. He goes as far away from where he thinks God is. He gets him on a boat. And not only does he think he's got away from, from God, he goes right down in the bottom of the boat, fast asleep. Gets out in the storm. You know the story. Great story. God's dealing with him. He's asleep. The boat's getting ready to fall apart. And they drag him out and say, who's God we offended? And Jones says, might be me. So the, they said, throw him overboard. You know the story. But there's nowhere in the Bible says, Jonah, if you don't go, I'll send you or you or me. I'll send somebody else. No. Because God let him think about it for a few days in the belly of a great fish. And then he pukes him up on the ground and say, you know, you, I can... I, this is my interpretation of God. You know, Jonah, you you probably look a whole lot better if you hadn't been on that uh, ammonia diet from being inside that fish for three days. You you probably been a better mind if you just mind me the first time. But Jonah, did he learn a, a lesson? No, but God still used him. You know, God uses who you are, but it all comes down if I'm going to be available. Do I accept the fact that He's going to use me? But I like the way Isaiah responds. Oh, I love Isaiah. Because God, it says in, in, in Isaiah that a word came to, to the prophet about all the things that was going to happen to Israel. And see, God was raising up a prophet to warn them. In, in the vision that it says in chapter 6 that Jonah sees God in the temple and his robe filled the room. And he saw the seraphim, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy. And when their voices cried out, it shook the, the doorpost. And, and, and Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm an un, a man of unclean lips. He knew he was a sinner. He knew who he was. But the seraphim takes the tongue, and he, and he cleanses his mouth. He, he, he touches his lips with the, with the hot coals and purifies him. Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. See, until we see God for who he is, high and lifted up in his royal robes, and you see that he wants to use you, it'll humble you. It did me. I couldn't believe that God wanted to use me. 
the one who couldn't talk, the one who couldn't, didn't study to be anything. I, I, man, I can, let me tell you, I can fix about anything. I've worked on everything from helicopters to jet aircraft to uh, hot rods, street rods, uh, you name it, I've worked on it. And I'm just plain old me. But that's what I had to figure out. I'm just plain old me. But God wants to use plain old you, and he wants to use plain old me. Because he has a plan for us. He has a plan for this church. If he's going to call us to, from good to great, it depends on every one of us sitting in here. Am I going to make myself available? I mean, I've, I've seen how radically this place has been. I mean, it boggles my mind, the offerings that's given every week. I know God's working in this, uh, this sanctuary. I know God's working in this church. But he wants to draw us in even closer because he has a plan if I make myself available. If I accept the things that he's called me to do. But here's the last thing, and we'll close. I'm accountable for what I know. You know, knowledge is a great thing. But knowledge is just not something that you write down in a book and you close it up and, and look how smart I am. With knowledge comes responsibility. Because I know something, it, there's a liability factor to it. If Say you take your car to get an oil change and, and the guy says, oh, by the way, ma'am, you need to replace your tires. They're getting very slick. And you say, okay. And you just let it go. And you think, I don't have the money to do that right now. I'll put it off later. Later comes and road slick and you hit the brakes and it skids and runs into another car. What's cheaper, set of tires or front end of your car? But I guarantee you the first thing that I always hear is, I told you, you should have done that. It, it, it's, but see, with, with knowledge comes responsibility. And the thing about it is, when God preaches to me, when God's word speaks to me, the knowledge is there but I'm responsible for what I do with it. I can think about how smart I am, which I am not, because of what I know. And I love the scriptures. I love reading the scriptures. I love what, how it speaks to me. But is it changing my life? See, knowledge is not any benefit unless it changes. You, can, you don't even know it, but every time you come in here and listen to Pastor Joel, God is he's chipping away at your life. I know he does mine. He's knocking away the lumps and the bumps, and he's trying to get me to look more Christ-like. And it never stops. It never stops because he's wanting us to be like Christ. And sometimes that's painful. And sometimes I need to be corrected. And sometimes I need to be encouraged. So when you come into church, you might not understand it. You might not even realize it. But God is radically changing your perception of who you are and who God is. But when it comes down to doing something, it all comes with a, it all begins with faith. You know, faith is a funny thing. 
You could say you have faith, but until you put legs to it, it's not faith. Faith will not leave me where I'm at. Faith is not something that I acquire and I, and I say, well, I've got faith. No, faith causes me to do something. Faith causes me to step forward in belief that what God says is true, and it causes me to act upon it. That's how it changes our lives. If I, if I don't change my action, then guess what? His word's not changing my life. So when, when preaching from God's word, when teaching comes from God's word, it's designed to change my ideas, my perception of who I am. See, God still wants to use my, my will, my desire, my drive, but he wants to realign all that in a way that it will glorify him. So when knowledge comes, there's a requirement. What am I going to do with what God called me to do? Will I trust him for what I know? Will I believe what he says? Romans 14, 12 says, So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's scary. I have to give an account for my teaching, every word of it, to a higher degree than the rest of you guys. That's scary. But the thing that I have to do faithfully is to warn, to encourage, to uplift, so that lives will be changed. And the thing about preaching is it's just crazy. I've, I've been working on this this sermon for probably four weeks. Pastor Joel, he's asked me time and time again if, if I wanted to preach. And I said, no, I just don't feel like that's what I need to be doing. But when he called me about four weeks ago, I thought, yeah, I need to be doing that. But when, when God puts something on your heart, he, he, he wants you to be obedient to do what he's called you to do. I don't care what it is. You might think, well, that's not, that doesn't mean a whole lot. You might have the very words to, that you have in your mind and on your heart to encourage someone. But when I say, eh, I don't really have time, guess who misses the blessing? I do. You do. God wants to use us. I'm, I, I can't stress that enough. Because when, if we're going to be a, a church that's on mission, we have got to be people who answer the call. We have got to be people who say, here I am, Lord, send me. Will I trust God for what I know? Will I be obedient to what he's telling me? The question is, what does the call of God mean? But what does it mean to me? I can't answer that for you. I really can't. I can't look out and say, well, you need to be doing this or do that. And I've been in churches. People like, well, you know, I feel like God's telling me you need to be doing this. And I said, huh? God didn't tell me nothing about that. You ever had super spiritual people? Well, God says you need to be doing this. Well, eh, not so much. But when God speaks a still, small voice, and you've, you've heard it, you know what it sounds like. Are you going to trust him for what you know? See, the thing about God is he's not going to give you all the directions. 
He didn't tell me how he was going to work everything out for me when I was called to go to school. He didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to send you a, a FedEx letter here, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Now, sometimes he'll do that, but he didn't tell me that. But I had to step out in faith, believing what God said is true and acting upon it. That, that's it. But I'm telling you right now, God is wanting to use this church for his glory, for his kingdom. And it starts in these chairs. It starts with me, and it starts with you. Now, in this time of invitation, I'm going to ask you something. If you, if, you don't, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, am I making myself available to him for his kingdom and for his glory? Bow with me in prayer. You might not understand what God's leading you to do, and that's okay. But it comes down to this. Do I honestly believe what God says is true? Then I need to be acting upon it. I need to be doing something with the gifts that he's given me. I need to use my character, my will, and my, my desires to glorify you. Then today you need to, you need to, you need to confess that. You might want to come to the altar and pray about it. You might want to need somebody to help you pray over it. We're, we got people that'll do that. But yet there's some who's heard the preaching of God's word week after week, year after year, but never has made Jesus Lord and Savior. I want to, I want to implore you. I want to beg you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Come to the altar in this time of altar and invitation and pour your heart out to him.